This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Everybody, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. I am really grateful to have you joining us. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Prevenex, which is where I get all of my multivitamins and supplements, vitamins for my kids, which they actually beg for. They love Prevenex Supervites. This is a delicious daily vitamin for your kids with minerals, antioxidants, they're chewable. They contain optimal forms of key vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants that support children low in sugar from natural sources, preservative, artificial additive, and junk free. And if your kid doesn't wanna take the vitamins, you know what you can always do? You can put them in a smoothie. Just throw the vitamin in a smoothie and they won't know any different and it's delicious. Uh, They also have delicious protein powder that my family drinks in our smoothies every day. We prefer the vanilla, but they have a chocolate flavor as well. And for the multivitamins and supplements for adults, I don't know about you, but I used to always stand in the Target aisle and wonder like what companies are good, what vitamins are actually effective. And since I started working with Prevenex, I'm so thankful I found an answer. I've had long conversations with the founder of this company and really believe in the effectiveness of their products. They are clinically effective supplements that promote longevity, performance, and everyday health. And you can save 15% when you go to Prevenex.com and use the code Lindsay15. That's Lindsay15, but the number's 15, Lindsay. L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Okay, today's episode is episode 55, and my guest is Ash Brandon. Ash is a middle school social studies teacher who thinks school should feel as motivating as a game. Ash creates lessons and structures that motivate like games. All right, I have already learned so much from their Instagram page around the topic of video games. And I feel a lot of relief because I don't know about you, but video games have been a bit of a struggle in our household. And I know that I haven't always reacted the way I probably should when it comes to taking video games away for bad behavior and things like this. And Ash really breaks it down. They break down how to set up a structure and a routine so that your kids can have a healthy relationship with gaming. See, a lot of times the problem isn't the video game itself. It's the expectations around when it's time to play the video game and things like that. So we can take control of this and we can own this experience and it doesn't have to be a negative one. So I hope that what we learn in this episode is helpful for you in your everyday life because video games and screens, they're not going anywhere. And though I try and fail multiple times over and over again to limit screen time in general, I think my biggest weakness is the TV. We get lots of TV time in this house. There are ways to set expectations and boundaries around these things. And there's also a lot of positives that we might not think about that can come from video games. So Ash is going to dig into all of this with us. I, I felt like we could have talked for an hour more on 
a million different things around this topic. So anyway, I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did. And I hope that you feel empowered to own the situation. If you do love this podcast, share it with your friends. Share it with anybody you know that has struggled with this specific topic because there's some really valuable information in this episode. Um, And if you do love it, please leave us a rating and review so we can get this little podcast up and running off the ground and in the headphones of more parents who might enjoy the support. All right. Enjoy my conversation with Ash. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Ash Brandon on the show. Welcome to the show, Ash. Hi, thanks for having me. So excited to have you on the show. We've got a hot topic that lots of parents want to learn about. So Ash, you are a seventh grade social studies teacher. Tell us a little bit about your work professionally and what you do in the online world and in your classroom with gaming. Sure. So I'm Ash and my pronouns are they, them. And I am, I used to be mostly seventh grade and now I am a middle school social studies and math teacher. So I teach sixth through eighth grade um, in Boulder, Colorado. And I've been a teacher for, well, a public teacher. This is my 11th year there. And I got into education actually as an orchestra director. I was a music major and a music educator, and I did that for about half my career. And then I pivoted more to what we call core teaching um, about five or six years ago, which really corresponded with um, us having a family because in in where I work, uh, it's kind of more reliable um, to be in like core teaching, you know what you're going to be doing every year. It's a little more predictable. And that's kind of what I wanted when we were going to have a family and I was coming from parental leave. Um, so my experience with gaming really came around just, I grew up with it. I liked it. It was just always part of my life. And I was doing my master's degree in music ed and I needed to do what we call a state of the research which is when you look at like all the existing research on a topic. And that was 2010, 2011, which was the height of the guitar hero rock band craze. Uh I know it feels like such a nostalgic time because now that's just like in goodwill. No one wants that anymore. Uh At the time it was a big deal. And um, those games actually teach how to play you know, the, the music in the game, they actually teach very similarly to how uh, we typically do beginning string instrument instruction. So I was very interested in looking at how teachers were incorporating those entertainment games into the classroom because I thought, oh, I bet string teachers are so excited to see something that uses really traditional pedagogy and puts it into like a a gaming platform that kids are super into. I bet tons of teachers are taking advantage of this. And I went to look at the research and I found nothing, Hmm. absolutely nothing. Uh, And the only kind of things I found published around video games and music education were these very like introductory articles, like what is a Nintendo Wii? You know, what is an Xbox? Hmm. And I thought, oh, Uh, And that was very informative because it told me that either teachers were that unaware and disconnected or 
kind of big E education as a whole thought they were. And even if teachers really wanted to use these technologies, they probably would not if they weren't being given guidance on how to do so. And all of the major educator magazines and music ed magazines weren't talking about it, right? They were treating it like some sort of like alien concept. So I basically thought, okay, this isn't coming up in education. I bet it's coming up in gaming because they made these games. Surely they're aware of how similar these are. That's probably how they figured out how these are so, uh, how they how they can make players play so well. They probably stole a bunch of this from education. So I looked at gaming spaces and went to gaming conferences and sat in panels. And anytime that I would see a technology or a game that I thought, oh yeah, like this is an entertainment game. It could be so powerful. The, the presentation from the gaming perspective would be like, oh, here's how we're going to make an educational version of this. Mm. And then they would talk through it and it would be like, we're going to take out all the fun, basically. <laughs> you know, we're going to basically turn it into like digital worksheets, you know, and take out all the things that really make gaming compelling. And, you know, we're going to make sure the kids earn badges. You know, they'll be so excited. And I remember thinking like, what, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> if this was really, if badges were motivating to kids, then all Mario games would be about getting badges, right? And so it was very weird to me that it seemed like both educators weren't recognizing the power in entertainment tools and the makers of those entertainment tools were not recognizing the power they could have in educational spaces. So at that point, I kind of thought, well, <laughs> I guess I'll just go in my classroom and start doing stuff. <laughs> and um, I just started experimenting with stuff in my classroom. I started making something called an achievement-based structure. Um, achievements are things in video games where the, the game kind of gives you sort of like a, oh, hey, you did this particular thing that was sort of hidden from you as a player. So sometimes you'll get an achievement because it's like, hey, you found every you know, you found every question mark block in this level, or you get, you found a hundred coins and the game just sort of says, hooray. You know, it doesn't give you anything special. It's just sort of a, a marker of something interesting that you did. And I thought, well, this is a really interesting concept in games because these are ways that we can motivate players, but they aren't rewards. You know, they're not things that are giving you anything. Mm -hmm. They're not making you better. They're not giving you a special weapon. It's just ways of expanding the way you play the game and that pushes players to try harder things to try things again and again and again to try things in new and inventive ways and i thought you know what if i could do that in a classroom i could probably get kids to learn a lot more because if i give them something that is an option that they don't have to do maybe they'd be super super into it and it would actually help their academics but it wouldn't have the same sort of fear because it's not tied to grades. So I tried that in my classroom for about four or five years and I got really good results. And then I kept waiting for someone to talk about it and publish and talk about what they were doing and no one ever did. So then I thought, I guess I have to. <laughs> and uh, began talking about what I was doing and my philosophy in um, gaming centric spaces got really good results there, got really good feedback. And I just did that for four or five years until the COVID era. Uh, and then I couldn't go to conferences anymore. And I thought, well, maybe this is finally the push I need to go into the internet. Ah, that's when Instagram happened for you. <laughs> yes, that is. That is when Instagram happened for me. And so went online and then had a similar sort of awakening 
of like it was like I was back 10 years ago realizing that many educators had just never considered these use of games. I felt like that again, you know, this year going online and Instagram world. And I was coming into it thinking that the majority of adults and parents would kind of understand how these games work and already kind of assume they were going to be part of kids' lives. Yeah. And what I really quickly found was that many adults and parents are feeling this intense inner turmoil <laughs> around gaming. And it comes from a very, um, a very nurturing and a place of just wanting so desperately to do well by your child. And I think so many people just have this fear and worry that they are going to do something that is going to screw up their kid or make it harder for their kid or they're going to do the quote unquote bad thing. And so I realized pretty quickly, oh, I have to kind of pivot and really just kind of talk about, you know, how do we actually have healthy relationships with games? Because we can't talk about the power of games or the educational value of games until we first establish that they have value at all. That's so good. And so that's kind of and that was incredibly long-winded, but that's kind of how I got here and um, how kind of stuff has shaped and changed over the last few years. I, I love that concept so, so much. And, and you're right. Like the games are going to be here. Like kids are going to play video games. If they don't play video games in your home, they're going to go to their friend's house and they're going to be jealous that their friends get to play the video games. And so I think that, you know, of course, some parents can say this isn't going to be part of our lives, but I think that if we accept that and then explore healthy ways to, oh, I always use the word balance, whatever though, to balance things out, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. You don't have to roll your eyes and be like, oh, Lewis is on his video game again or whatever. And so I think that's really important. I'm curious, were you a super big gamer? Like, did you love video games growing up? Was this something that was interesting to you and that's why you kind of, married the two yeah um i i mean i wasn't like an intense like oh my gosh video games are my life kind of kid but i did get into them kind of like middle school uh -huh. i i i never had like a old school console as a kid just never came up i had friends who did and then i kind of got like an n64 mm -hmm. in middle school that's kind of my era and then from then on like had the current console and you know, I think a big part of my philosophy is because that's actually kind of how my parents treated things too. And I'm not sure how conscious a choice that was. I actually mm -hmm. think it was more because I was a pretty um, responsible kid. Like I tended to do my homework. I tended to balance those kind of things in my life without needing a ton of intervention. And so I think my parents kind of saw it as like, well, it's not causing a problem, you know? So, so long as it's not causing a problem, it's fine. But inadvertently what that ended up doing was just making me view video games as just like anything else. Like they didn't feel special to me because nobody ever treated them that way. Yes, it's just like a healthy, like a hobby, just one of your hobbies. Exactly. And it was a hobby like other yeah, like anything else in my life. And so sometimes I'd hang out with friends and we'd talk. Sometimes we'd be outside. Sometimes we'd be playing and sometimes we'd play video games. And it was just kind of another one of those things. And so because that was how I grew up and that's how I started to really view them in adulthood and as an educator, and I just viewed them as a tool because, again, I had just always kind of grown up encountering them as just another thing without a ton of judgment or preconceived ideas about them. And so then I kind of began viewing them as as valid as other interests 
or hobbies. So that's kind of how I then viewed them as an adult. It's so interesting. I who, oh, I was ta- my mom was talking to me about this because you know she knows I host this parenting podcast, and there's just so much out there these days, so many resources for every topic you want to get into. And she's like, I just didn't think about that stuff when you guys were growing up. I just did. Like I just did what I needed to do. I just parented in the way that I felt was right. And so I do feel like, you know, it's kind of a refreshing take what you're saying. Your parents just let you play video games because it was part of your life. And we over, we like obsess on things now. Now, obviously the access and like the extent of the video games is much bigger, like how, how many games there are and, and all that. It's, it's much more in your face now. So we do have to look at it a little bit differently. But sometimes I think back and I'm like, man, wonder what it really would have been like to parent in the 80s you know <laughs> right yeah yeah and and you know, we talk about how um that social media and like exposure to things for kids is overwhelming but I think we sometimes forget that that is also true for us like we're older and so we might have ways of kind of filtering some of that out, but not necessarily, you know, um, we talk about, you know, younger kids or, or teen kids who see, you know, altered images of people, how that affects body image or self-esteem oh. or, and then, but we also are inundated as adults with images or ideas of like, this is the way to parent, or this is the way to address this topic. And like you alluded to earlier, where you were saying some people are going to choose never to use games. Absolutely. And if that's the choice that you want to make for your family, go for it. Uh, what I want to make sure of is that people are making that are, are kind of choosing to make that decision instead of feeling like they have to, mm-hmm. because, because if they don't, that's like a colossal mistake, right? We want to make sure that we're making that decision in a really informed way and not a reactionary way, you know, and not in like a, I'm so afraid of what this could be like. So I'm just going to say no to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was great that you brought up earlier that, you know, g- gaming is not going anywhere. <laughs> we are, we're at 40 years of video games being really part of the public consciousness. You know, Pac-Man came out 40 years ago. So, and 40 years ago, people were talking about like, you know, Pac-Man fever and people spending <laughs> hours in arcades and all that, right? And we have still not gotten that far away from that rhetoric, but like, it's not going anywhere. If anything, it's gonna become more ubiquitous, more ingrained parts of our technology, easier to access. And so if we do choose to really say a hard no to video games for kids, the thing that I would really ask people to think is, what do you think is going to happen when they finally encounter games for the first time? Because we can't prevent them from ever encountering them, right? And just like other things that might be tempting to kids, um, where we might choose to completely just never address it, right? I'm thinking about more adult things like alcohol, drug use, sex, for example. Um, abstinence only doesn't tend to work, right? Right. We tend to see that in other temptations. Um, and, you know, all those are going to have different ways that we handle that as parents. But if I have a child who has grown up being told no to games their entire lives, and maybe not even a why, just no, 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 
what is going to happen when that person is technically an adult and moves into a dorm room <laughs> and suddenly has a roommate who has the not even a console, but like the newest, most exciting, enticing console that's connected to the internet. So we took a kid from absolutely nothing and put them into like the deep end of gaming, right? And what is going to happen if we haven't set them up with ways of figuring out healthy balance with gaming, well, we might be setting them up to have a really difficult time managing that as an adult. That's so smart. Hey friends, a quick break here. I want to invite you to come join me at the Donna Marathon Weekend in Jacksonville, Florida. It is the weekend of February 6th. There is a 5K, a half marathon, and a marathon, as well as a relay event and challenge events. There's truly something for everybody that weekend. And the Donna Marathon Weekend supports the Donna Foundation, which helps those who are walking through a breast cancer diagnosis and also supports groundbreaking research. This will be my fourth year coming to the event, bringing my whole family with us. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a great meetup. And, you know, I think a half marathon is a goal that a lot of people have. They want to check that off their list. And this half marathon is fun. It starts and finishes on the beach. You don't run the race in the sand, though, so don't worry. And it's just a great weekend. It's a weekend full of hope and love and fun. And I, I want to meet people. I want to see you all there. If you do sign up for the event, use the code Lindsay10. That's Lindsay10. And that'll save you 10% off of any of the Donna Marathon events. You can go to breastcancermarathon.com and get registered. I will probably be doing the half marathon myself. And if you need a training plan for the race, I do have training plans on my website at lindsayhine.com. I have four different 14-week half marathon training plans from beginner to advanced that you can check out. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Ash. Let's talk about the boundary thing. And I think, you know, I, I'll go ahead and say what my biggest frustration has been, and I'm assuming many parents have experienced this as well. It's when, you know, there's downtime and your kid's just hanging out, playing the video game. You're not really paying much attention. You're doing your thing. You're cleaning. And suddenly you're like, oh, my gosh, he's been on the Nintendo for two hours and it's time to get off. And you just like rip it away from him. And that causes explosion and they get angry and all those things happen. So let's talk about ways we can control this environment. So my biggest uh, recommendation to people is to, you know, if we ultimately want gaming to feel like something that just exists in our lives and isn't that special, then we have to treat it that way. And that can mean one of the ways we can do that is by having it be a regular and consistent part of our lives. And that doesn't mean every day. That doesn't mean all the time, but it means that it has like consistent um, availability to kids. So that might mean gaming is every day from 4.30 to 5, or it's, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, after you get home from soccer practice, right? But it is predictable. Mm. It's, it's not conditional on behavior because we can get into that later, but that yes. that sets up a whole other kind of issue because then what we're basically saying is like, hey, if you do these things that either make me happy as your adult or, uh, or are of more value, in quotes, 
then you can get this other thing. It makes it a reward. We don't want gaming to be a reward. We want it to be as everyday and mundane as everything else. So making it really consistent part of the day and having consistent boundaries around time. So uh, the official recommendation from the AAP is for kids um, two to five, up to one hour of screens a day. That's inclusive of all screens. Uh, Five to 12 is one to two hours a day and 12 and over is like parental discretion. I'm not saying you should stick to those. I'm just saying those are the official recommendations. Uh, We go over those in my Uh, same (laughs) including like tv shows oh my goodness yes 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 and again just the recommendation right we like just take it for what it's worth but that's the official recommendation so you know my child is going to be five in december and so they get you know up to 30 minutes of game time a day uh if if they want it and it is always at a very specific time in the day right before dinner and for a younger kid, that's very that's a healthy or a, um, an enforceable transition for us, because like dinner's always going to be at a certain time, and I'm going to be in there making dinner while my spouse is on the couch with my child and they're playing, or I'm kind of monitoring and talking about the play. But then it's like okay, and now dinner's ready, right? It's very con- it's very consistent transition. And dinner for us tends to be an easy transition. So that makes it easier too. So putting those things at like really clear and concrete uh, parts of the day is definitely helpful. The other thing is never underestimate um, how engrossing these activities can be. Uh, Even if you have an older child who you think is completely able to do time management, I think we sometimes forget how engrossing these things can be. And we as adults experience this too. You know, we get super into whatever it is we're super into, you know, baking, like knitting, watching a TV show that we're super, super into. And somehow we've watched six episodes, right? And seven hours have gone by, right? But the same thing can happen where there's just a little bit of time blindness that can go on. And so if we were like, baking a cake and we're like halfway through icing it and our partner came into the room and was like, you've been baking for three hours. Like you have to stop baking right now. We'd be like, Whoa, I'm like in the middle, you know, (laughs) I can't do this right now. I can't step away. And if they were like, no, it's been too long. We have to leave. You'd probably get really mad. Yes. (laughs) And so, uh, and that's not talking about like, you know, you can say, but baking is more, you know, more worthy, whatever. But, but if we look at, to the kid, it feels like that. It feels like, oh, they don't see how important this is, or they don't see the effort that's going into this. So an easy and really effective way is to just give a few heads up, like, hey, in 10 minutes, it's dinner, or in five minutes, it's dinner. Or if you have some familiarity with the game that your kid is playing, Mm -hmm. you could say like, hey, one more race, one more campaign. You know, some games are like each campaign's five minutes. So it's like, hey, you can do one more campaign. You can finish the level you're on. You can get to a save point. Um, But anything like that that can give them something that's really concrete to do where they're like, okay, this is where I'm getting to, especially for kids who like really open things like Minecraft, super open world things. It can be hard to see a stopping point. Yes. So giving them something that kind of visualizes a place to stop 
And then, of course, you know, if they take advantage of that, then we have to enforce that boundary, right? And then we enforce that boundary, how we enforce any boundary in our household, right? And it becomes the same thing. Um, sometimes parents say like, oh, but, you know, then they don't want to turn it off. And I'd say like, okay, they're allowed not to want to turn it off. Like they're allowed not to like it. Yep. Um, just like they're allowed not to like what you serve for dinner. And that doesn't mean we're a short order cook. They're allowed not to like their bedtime. And that doesn't mean we change bedtime. So we do sometimes have to enforce those things. And the more we enforce it, the more they become used to that schedule and the more they become used to, okay, yes, my parent says it's time to stop. It's going to actually be time to stop. And then they take more ownership over actually doing that themselves. We hope anyway. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah, I know I've been learning, you know, nine years in, still really, really learning a lot. I'm going to say the same thing in nine more years, I'm sure. Um, but I'm learning that if I validate their emotions and like accept that and then say we're but then still go back to like, but we're still going to do that. It's OK. Yeah. I understand you feel that way. I'd be mad, too. It just like makes them feel like I get it. Like, I oh, get yeah, it. I don't want things taken away from me either. I get sad when this happens. I get. And so if we can just like validate now, I don't always do that. But when I do, I do find that it helps the entire situation yes yes even if something as simple as like yeah it's really hard to stop doing something fun yeah yeah and then we, we're still going to yeah right? and like, you don't have to be like super soft about it you just, no. you just validate like hey right i get it it sucks right and we can also remind them that it's going to happen again tomorrow yeah <laughs> because if if you if you have a kid who's going from a very irregular gaming schedule like Maybe it's two hours once a week and then it's, you know, a four hour binge on on Saturday and then it's like 15 minutes. Right. They might be so used to that chaotic uh, schedule that trying to get into regularity, they might really protest at first because what they really need is a reminder that it, we are going to stick to this. And so even sometimes saying like, I know it's so hard to stop this really fun thing games will be available again tomorrow at 4 30. Mm -hmm. And then when that actually happens, we're showing, yeah, see, you know, I said this was going to happen. It's going to happen. So then you could, they can really buy into that schedule and know like, Oh yeah. Okay. I can relax. This is going to happen again. I don't have to worry that I'm never going to have games ever again. And then it becomes less and less a special thing because it's just part of the day. Wow. That, yeah. And it gives them something to look forward to, too. You know, as we're talking about this, I'm like, man, this would be so challenging in a household that has two separate houses, mm -hmm. you know, because yeah. if you're not on the same page with the other house, then it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, that, th that's just one thing. I mean, that could be said mm -hmm. for probably every single topic we've talked about on this podcast. Yeah. Um, cause if they're, you know, going to one house and they're getting three hours on a Saturday and they come back to your house and your rule still stays 30 minutes, that's right. challenging. Right. And I imagine that's true for many aspects of of multiple households. Yeah. Right. Like if one parent is always serving dinner, dinner at six o'clock and the other it's eight, it's nine o'clock, it's five thirty, it's popcorn for dinner, it's yep. McDonald's. Right. It's really, really unpredictable. Then, yeah, we're going to see that or bedtime or whatever. If those boundaries are not consistent, then, yes, I think that would be difficult. And um kids really do like routine mm -hmm. <laughs> kids kids like and not just kids like we as humans we really do thrive on predictability 
and knowing when things are going to happen. So the transition from, from a less predictable environment to a more predictable environment, I think can be difficult. And sometimes we see behavior increase when a kid goes from a less predictable environment to a more predictable environment. And I know that's always super hard for me. That might happen when I, when, when my child goes from like grandparents' house to our house. And I know that they've gone from like people saying yes to anything, right? All the snacks, <laughs> late bedtime. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Yes, more shows. And then I'm coming in and saying like, no, it's time for bath, you know? And I always get kind of triggered by that because I'm like, oh, you just had three days of being yes all the time. Why are you wanting more? And then I, what helps me is reframing and reminding myself like, they want the reassurance that I am going to do what I have always done. And they want the reassurance that, that they've returned to a predictable environment. And that reassurance can look like boundary pushing and being upset about it. And I just remind myself like, okay, I am here to reassure them that we're going to stick to what we're going to stick to. Um, so that's what I tell myself in those tough moments around boundaries. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> So you mentioned Minecraft earlier. So Minecraft is one that my boys really like. Minecraft, Roblox, and Fortnite are the three that I hear about. That's the like most. a trifecta. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned, though, a game like, because, okay, so one of the things I want to talk about is connecting with our kids over video games, even if we're not into the video games. But before we go there, you mentioned a game like Minecraft, um, not having like a stopping point. So explain that a little bit, because I bet a lot of people listening have kids that play Minecraft and they don't know squat about Minecraft. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, because as someone who grew up with game, I don't play Minecraft and I don't like it. And that's not, I'm, it's just not my thing. Um, but as someone who grew up a lot around a lot of games, sometimes I become unaware of like, okay, what do we know? What do we not know? So I thank you. Um, so, when we talk about game structure, you might hear terms like platformers, RPGs, I'm just going to say a bunch of words here, um, open world games, sandbox games, uh, you know, um, tactical games, you might hear these words, and they all refer to the structure, basically, of like how gameplay happens. A game that is more of what we would call a platformer is like, if you think really old school, Platformers refer to things like Mario, okay. where like you are you are literally jumping from platform to platform. That's what that name means. Now that really refers to like level bounded games. So you know when you play a Mario game or you play like an adventure game, you enter a level. There's a clear goal, right? I'm gonna get the star. I'm gonna find the puzzle piece. You know, depending on what game you're in, you get it. That level's done. It's like very clear boundaries. So I can finish here. Exactly. And then the and then the game typically like spits you back out into the kind of meta world and that's like the end of the level, right? It's very like a, it's very obvious what the goal is. Okay. Then there are games that are going to be more bounded by time. So this could be things like racing games. Um you know where you might be doing I mean, a race can also have a definitive end, but it might be more like time-based, right? It might be five, like a certain amount of minutes. Um, this could be also things that are more like strategic battle games, like Fortnite can fall into this, um, like Overwatch. I'm not really sure if people play PUBG anymore, but 
same thing, where you might be like in a battle with friends and you're doing it for a certain amount of time. And then if someone hasn't met the goal by that amount of time, then the level still ends. Uh, and then there's these more kind of like ambiguous games, which are more open world. So this could be games that are not necessarily online, but where it's just kind of up to the player to figure out what to do. So that can be a game like Terraria. This can be older style games like Final Fantasy. Um, the, the new Zelda game is kind of like this, where you're just kind of freely exploring and there are missions to do, but it's just up to you what you're doing. And then there's games called like sandbox games, which are really like you're just in there doing whatever you want. You're building, you're creating, and that is going to be more your Minecraft, okay. depending on what you're doing in Roblox. That can be Roblox. You could actually be creating a game in Roblox, so that would also be the same. Um, Terraria has elements of that, too, where it's like you're just kind of in there creating and it's very like free form. And so you might have like a building you're making in Minecraft and you might walk away from that, and turn the game off and come back three weeks later and it's still there. You know, it, it's like you half built your Lego tower you leave, you come back, it's still there. And so those are not bounded by clear levels or time because it's just this sort of open creation that you can be doing at any time. So, I mean, technically you could be like, that, then that those games, you're just kind of like, this is your stopping time. Whether yeah. the other games, it's like, once you complete this level. Right. And I mean, it can be both, right? Like, I know some people have said like, okay, I'll say one more level. And then what I don't realize is that that level is going to take them 45 minutes. Right? <laughs> uh, so it can be both. Sometimes it can be both. Like, uh, if you think you can do this level in 10 minutes, yeah. you can start it. Otherwise, you shouldn't because we're going to end in 10 minutes, right? Um, but yeah, for those much more open world sandbox style games, then yes, having like a having a time limit is definitely going to be the easier kind of thing for them to hold on to because um, there isn't really an obvious goal in mind. They might be the ones setting the goal. So we can say, you know, game time's over in five minutes. Find a stopping point for yourself. Yes. Right. Because if they are just, exactly. If they're just building something in Minecraft, we might say like, hey, get to a point where you will remember what to do next time. Because that can be a big part of it is that, and we get this too, you know, I'm answering an email at work and I'm like, I just have to get to a stopping point so I don't forget what I'm talking about. Totally. You know, it's the same kind of idea. I was thinking that because I was like, man, what if I was like writing a chapter of a book or like I was really into exactly what I was doing? What if they're like on this like creative path and they're like, oh, my building is going to look like this and they have this vision and that vision's going to go away the next time they get on there. So I can imagine mm-hmm. how for a creative mind, that would be really frustrating. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know you kind of wanted to talk about this as well. Yeah. I, one of the ways that you can help with that, because one of the things that's that these games don't necessarily um, have well built in is like ways of reminding yourself of that. The game isn't going to really have a way of reminding yourself of that. It's just not really built into the design. Arguably it should be, but it's, it's not. So something as simple as we're going to write down the next thing you want to do on a sticky note, and we're going to put it right next to the controller. (laughs) So, because if they're like, Oh, but I have, I'm, I just needed to do this. I'm like, great. We're going to write it down. 
so you know exactly what to do when you come back tomorrow. Just that, and that's sort of an executive functioning thing of just reminding yourself what it is I need to do next. Yes. Um, and again, to us, we might think like, oh, but you know, it's just a game, you know, or this is, this is a game. It's not like you're trying to remember, you know, to get your lunchbox. It's not like you're trying to remember what to do at work, but if we want, you know, we often use this adage of like play is the work of childhood. Well, play in digital environments is still play. You know, a kid who is freely exploring with Lego, building a creation with Lego, we might applaud that and be like, wow, how cool you figured this out. But then the kid does it in Minecraft and we're like, oh, you know, <laughs> always with the Minecraft. Yeah. But it's the same concept. It's just a, it's just applied in different ways. They have different, you know, they're going to have different tactical requirement or like tactile requirements um, and build on different kind of tactile and planning skills, but they are still the same super creative thing. So in the same way that we might recognize the value of that kind of play in, in like analog spaces, we can recognize that in digital spaces too. And um, part of that is really, like you said, validating what they're doing and giving them ways of continuing that the next time. And that, again, sends a message of like, wow, this is really important to you. You know, we're going to remind ourselves of what you're going to do next time because I want to make sure you can keep doing this. It's something that's important to you. Yeah. I mean, and truly, you know, the hand eye coordination thing, I was interviewing a woman for my running podcast. She's an ultra runner and her husband is a, a foot surgeon. And she talked about how she messaged me on Instagram one day because I don't know, I mentioned something about video games and she was like, just so, oh no, she listened to a podcast episode where I talked to a guy about Overwatch Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and I was like, convince me that it's OK that, you know, like my kids playing video games. Like You're an adult now. You're well adjusted. And he said, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty addicted to this. So then we talked about <laughs> it and she messaged me and she said, I just want you to know that my husband credits so much of his hand eye coordination to what he does in surgery to the video games he played growing up. That's funny. Yeah, there is. So, um. There is research about that. And, you know, I'm all for talking about the validity of video games. A lot of the research that talks about hand-eye coordination, it's the effects are there. They're pretty minimal. Um, so I'm not, I would not necessarily say that's the reason to, <laughs> <laughs> to be handing your kid the controller. If that, if it happened, if it works out that way, great. Awesome. You know, it's like a fringe benefit. Yeah. Um, and it's definite, and it's not going to hinder it. We know that for sure. Uh, but yeah, and even just the sort of um, planning that has to go in. You know, when a kid dumps out their bucket of Lego, it's very easy for them to see like what they have available to them. When they're in a environment like Minecraft, there's also a whole other level of strategic thinking that has to go on because they have to go mine for their materials. They have to go get and create those materials, and so that adds a whole other piece of like, how many of this material do I need? Where do I have to go to get that material? How much time is that going to take me? That's a whole other kind of level of, of planning. So sometimes that can be kind of invisible to us. We might see our kids trying to put two Lego together and we can therefore kind of see the, the work or the learning going on. And we might not always see that in the digital environment. And so we sometimes think that it's just not there. Yeah. 
You know, my kids also reenact the video games like in person. They do lots of 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 physical play with the video games, which I really like. It it makes me feel like it's so hard because this is counterintuitive what you were just saying. I feel like they're not being creative when they're on the video games, but that's simply not always true. And then when I see them reenacting it in the yard, I'm like, oh, look how creative they're being. It's like both things can be creative. Exactly. And what's so funny is like, you know, they might be literally redoing something they already did in the digital environment. And so when they did it in the digital environment, it was actually new and unique. And that, and we might, if we were to actually say, well, which is more technically creative when they came up with it for the first time or when they reenacted it? Well, yeah. probably when they came up with it for the first time. But that's so funny because then we, we see them do it in real life and we're like, oh, how great. You know, <laughs> even though they might actually just be kind of re replaying something um, that they, they kind of already created. Uh, but yeah, I mean, whatever, you know, if, if we can see the value there and kind of recognize, you know, whatever it takes to see the value is fine by me. If we see them doing it in, uh, in physical play, it can be a good way to, for us to kind of learn, oh, wow, you know, they're really taking these elements or they're really thinking about conflict or story or resolution or whatever, and give us more to kind of pay attention to the next time that they're playing. Okay, so I have a question about Fortnite. Okay, I feel I'll do like, my best. I know. Well, I feel like parents freak out about Fortnite because of the violence and the guns. Oh, that's not the reason I don't like Fortnite. Okay. I don't like it. That is not why. Okay, well, I <laughs> want to hear more. But, you know, also, I, I just be completely honest, you know, my kids play with Nerf guns all the time. And mm. I put a story up on Instagram the other day of a bunch of the kids in the backyard with the Nerf guns. And I was like, mm. oh, I wonder if people are going to, you know, make a comment that I can't believe you let your kids play with toy guns, whatever. Um, so I'm curious, like, just your thoughts on, like, the violence in Fortnite and things like that. Okay. Well, it's very prescient that you bring this up because my most my two most recent posts on Instagram, I asked people, like, what is your biggest concern? And the biggest concerns with games were that it causes or increases violence or aggression or that it desensitizes kids to violence. Um, and those are both two, the, the first is a very good example of how how one like snippet of, of research can get its way into media and society and basically like take over um, because the reason that we kind of hear about like, Oh, video games are causing violence can basically be derived back to one study that came out in 2000, right after the 19, um, 1999 um, Columbine shooting. Okay. And, uh, and I talk a lot about it in my, in my recent post, but basically that study did not find what it said it found. Um, and when we look at desensitization of violence, there are a couple of studies that claim to have shown desensitization through video game play. And there are also an equal number of studies that show that it didn't. And um, the so the big takeaway would be, no, <laughs> video games do not tend to cause an increase in aggression or violent behavior. And they don't, from what we can tell, cause a desensitization. And I think that I mean, I can get more into what the studies did and, and how we know that. Um, but I think many parents, even if I fully like 
go into that and debunk it. I think many parents are like, okay, but I feel like it does. Like I still feel like my kid's angry after they play video games. Right. And to that, I would say, are they angry because of playing it? Or are they angry there that they're not playing it anymore? Yeah. And I think you could look at that and say like, but that's still the fault of the video game. And I would say, well, anger is not like, we have to disassociate that, that anger is somehow like a negative, like character trait, right? Like, if we really do want our kids to feel free to express themselves so that they can learn to manage their behaviors and learn to manage their emotions, then we have to not kind of demonize certain emotions over others. If I want my child to grow up having like the ability to feel frustration, the ability to feel anger, and then manage those feelings, then I have to model that, that management. And part of that is not getting triggered by those emotions when my kid displays them. And that is a lot easier said than done, as we all know. Um, But, you know, when our children, and I think this is really true of like really younger kids, you know, like kind of toddler preschool kids, you know, kids throw tantrums and meltdowns for every reason and no reason. Right. Like (laughs) I I think we have all had, right. Or yeah, I think we have all had a kid who, goes into like a 45 minute meltdown because we open the banana the wrong way. Right. Or because we hand them the cracker that they asked for. (laughs) Right. And we would never then look at them and say, well, you can't have bananas anymore because you got too angry. Right. We would never do that. And so what we really have to interrogate there is like, what is it about this thing, which tends to be video games? What is it about the game? that that I want to blame this for? Like, what is it in the game that I am not, um, that I don't see as valuable? Because when we don't see something as valuable, we're very quick to blame it. Mm, so <laughs> like, true. oh, it must, it must be the fault of that, right? We're not gonna blame the banana because we still want our kid to eat bananas. When they're upset and throw a tantrum about bedtime, we're not gonna blame bedtime, right? Because bedtime's still gonna happen. And instead we're just gonna validate the emotions and we're gonna say, yes, you don't want it to be bedtime. I know we were having so much fun and it's still bedtime right now. And we're still going to turn the lights off. Do you want to do it or should I, right? We're still going to enforce it. Um, but when it's game, suddenly it's all game's fault. Mm-hmm. But in reality, if we have set up our kids to be able to express their emotions, then our kids are just trying to do what we have let them know is fine. Right? So if our kids are able to express their, their big feelings around bedtime, around bath, around saying goodbye at the playground, right, around dinner, what message are we sending if suddenly they aren't allowed to have those feelings about video games? Mm -hmm. And then that makes it almost immediately a power struggle, right? Because then the message we're sending to our kids is there's something about this (laughs) that my parent just does not seem to, to get, or my parent doesn't value this the way I do. And then it really puts us in this icky kind of power struggle situation. But to get back to to the Fortnite and violence thing, um, yeah, the vast majority of the research really does not show that there is any increase in violence or aggression um, due to video games. What the studies did find was that um, when they asked people to play video games competitively, so they had a, two people play against each other, they had them play a non-violent game called Myst which is like a very nonviolent exploratory game. And they had them play a violent game called Wolfenstein, which is a shooter. 
Um, and then whoever won did what's called a noise blast test. A noise blast test is where you blast your opponent with white noise, basically. Um, and this is a common thing in, in study environments. So what they found was that the people who won a game of Wolfenstein, the violent game, blasted their opponent with loud noise longer than those who played the nonviolent game. That is it. That's all they found. And then from that, they said, see, <laughs> the violent game made them react more aggressively. Therefore, the violent game caused this aggression. Therefore, video games are causing violence and aggression out in the world in general. Right? That's a very big leap in in um, assumption there, going from like a lab environment with adults who are consenting to this, who also know that if they lose, they're going to get blasted with mm -hmm. loud noise, right? And then somehow extrapolating that to like all American children, right? So that's kind of where that came from. And when we look at other studies of, of games, we have evidence that violent video games actually result in lower levels of aggression uh, because players tend to play those games to release those feelings. Sure. Um, and we also find that uh, pe people who play video games regularly, like one to three hours a day regularly, have um, the lowest levels of suicide ideation. They have the highest overall uh, self-assessed feelings of quality of life. They have um, higher feelings of sociability if they're playing like more social games which Fortnite would be one of them. And that's compared to non-gamers. So not even compared to like super active gamers, but compared to people who don't play games at all. It's not, that sounds like a healthy amount to play. And you're not talking about someone who's sitting in their room for seven hours a day. Right. And what's interesting is that if you look at the those studies and who is worst, right? Um, so it, the groups that fare worst in those studies tend to be either non-gamers who never play and excessive gamers yeah depending on the study it's one or the other but it, it always tends to be those groups which makes sense right it's like kind of the all or nothing yeah 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 why don't you like fortnite so i don't like fortnite because it is a completely different structure okay so the structure of fortnite is what we call a free-to-play game free-to-play games are games where it doesn't cost you anything to buy it Hmm. And this is becoming increasingly common, okay. super, super, super common. Um, so most games you get on the app store, right? Like iOS or tablet games, they are free to play. And I think that those tend to be games that parents are actually very quick to say yes to. Because they're free. Because they're free, right? And so there's no like, oh, I don't want to spend 20 bucks because what if they don't like it, right? But free to play games have a completely different um, objective from a game design perspective. If you pay $60 for a Mario game, which is what they tend to cost, right? If you pay $60 for a Switch game or $40 for an Xbox game, you've put all your value up front. And so the game has to basically convince you that what you bought was worthy of buying mm -hmm. because they want you to tell your friends about it and they want you to buy the next one, right? And sometimes they'll put out expansion packs or something. So they want to then get you to buy that in six months. Right. So how do they do that is they make the game compelling. They make the game intrinsically motivating. They make it maybe just out of reach in terms of difficulty, but 
it'll get easier the more you do it, right? They make it compelling to play. And then you're intrinsically motivated to play it because they design it that way. A free-to-play game, they don't want you to want to play just for the sake of playing because they don't have any money from you. <laughs> so their entire goal is how do I get this player to spend money? Oh, they actually, so you buy, yes. They actually do not want you to just like the game because if you just like the game for the sake of playing, they have failed because their goal is not to have happy players. Their goal is to make money. Uh, what are those things called? My, I, I let my boys buy them a couple times. Um, Oh, loot boxes. Are they loot boxes? Something like loot boxes, maybe. Loot oh, boxes are are where really you think... don't know what's in it. They're like different you... outfits their players can Oh, can skins. Look. Skins. Yes. Skins. So certain things like that, skins, I mean, like that to me is sort of the equivalent of buying, you know, buying an outfit for your Barbie doll, but like in true, a digital. True, true. Okay. And the, the thing that doesn't bother me so much about that is that it's like, okay, you know exactly what you're getting. Yeah. I'm going to spend this game currency on this thing and I know exactly what I'm getting. Where the structure becomes a bit more insidious, um, and particularly in games like Fortnite, though I think they've changed it a bit in recent years, is that if, let's say that you pay for Fortnite and I do not. Um, when we both log in on day one, we are both going to be kind of rewarded with some in-game currency. V-Bucks, I think they're called. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're going to get more than I am because I you're for paying it. for the game. And then we're both going to log in the next day. You're going to get more V-Bucks because you're paying for it. And I might log in and it might say, no V-Bucks today, but come back tomorrow because it's wanting me to come in every day, right? Because yes. the more I come in, the more likely I am to spend money. So they have different kind of strata for how players even exist within the game. So players who pay for the game are going to get rewarded more frequently, mm. are going to get more rewards when they do log in. Players who don't pay are going to initially get some currency because they want to incentivize you to play. And then you might get some maybe two days later, and then it might be three days later, and then five days later. And then the amounts are going to get less and less and less until it's like basically as little as possible to kind of still allow you to play at all. <laughs> Um, but they're, they're making it harder and harder and harder for you to really be able to do much because they want to make it, they want to basically force your hand to have to spend money. Wow. So they're not my fave. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This has nothing to do with the guns. No, it has nothing to do. That's what's funny to me is that people are always freaking out about the guns. And I'm like, that is not the problem. The problem is that essentially what that is doing to your brain is almost identical to what a slot machine does. Yes. Like people want to talk about the addictive nature of video games. We really need to be talking about the addictive nature of um, of unpredictable structure. Okay. Because that what does it. If I play if I'm playing a game that I've already paid my 60 bucks for, right? And I I can't spend more money in it, right? So there there's not going to be that same incentive structure. Maybe there is like extra stuff I can get for it. But again, it's like I'm going to I know exactly how much it costs. It's not masqueraded as some mystery currency, right? It's like 20 bucks to get this expansion and then I'm going to own it forever, right? Whereas in Fortnite, Fortnite also has seasons. So like the season of a game is only accessible for as long as that season exists. And then even if you're paying for the game, when that season is over, 
it doesn't happen anymore. You don't have access to it anymore. Then there's a new season and you have to start paying for that all over again. Wow. So it doesn't really go away. And for the brain, um, when, when games are very predictable, we call this a fixed ratio structure. So um, in Mario, I have to get 100 coins and then I get a star. Or the door says I need 150 coins. I need 150 coins, the door opens. Um, or every time I open a block, a coin comes out, right? If that suddenly starts changing, you know, like I thought a coin was going to come out and now it's something that's going to do me harm, right? That does to the brain exactly what a slot machine does because now I don't know what's going to happen and I'm just sort of hoping for a good outcome. And that is sort of similar to some of these structures that these games use because maybe I'm like, well, I have to log in because if I don't log in, I might not get anything because I'm on a streak. And it says, if I don't log in, I'm gonna lose my streak. So I log in and then I don't get anything. And it's this sort of like, oh, that sort of letdown. And then I log in the next day and I get something and the brain is like, yay, you know, and then the brain gives you some dopamine. Yeah. And, because that's what the brain does when something happy happens. And what that actually is making you feel happy about is not the game. It's it's the structure. So whereas in a Mario game, if I'm working super, super hard and I'm trying to get this level and I'm working so hard and if it's taken me 50 tries and I finally get it that's going to give me a surge of dopamine, but it's because I finally met a goal and I'm going to feel competent and accomplished. And I had to work at something over and over and over again. If I log into Fortnite for the 15th day in a row and it gets some coins, that dopamine rush is actually about more of a gambling thing yes. because, because, Oh, I logged in every day. That means I should keep logging in every day. So that's, that's why I find those structures to be, um, so potentially problematic is nothing to do with the guns. That is fascinating. And one reason why, and we're going to cover this topic quickly and do into podcast, but one reason why we should get at least a little bit invested in it because I didn't know that, you know, I, I had no idea that was the case. I knew you could buy skins and things like that, which that piece you say, okay, well, whatever. It's like dressing up your Barbie doll, which I agree. And to be completely honest, when my kids got $20 from their grandpa and they wanted to spend it on skins, I was like, yes, one less toy in my home, you know? Yeah, like, sure. And it's, enough, and it's a way to talk about economy and money. Yeah. Right? Like, okay, like, are you going to get to keep this thing forever? You know, like, what does it really mean? How much, you know, it's a way for them to kind of, feel what that is like in a digital setting, which I think has value. Totally. I totally agree. But I, I did not know about this like gambling effect. And so, okay, there's your one reason to get a little bit invested in your kids gaming, yes. but let's talk about other reasons and then ways we as parents can show, like you said, interest in something that is a value to them. Sure. Um, so I guess what I would say is, we're talking about like, well, why should, you know, why should we do it? Um, that's kind of hard for me to answer because I think it's kind of like asking like, why should I show interest in my kids' interests? Yeah. And it's like, well, because it's your kid. You because you love <laughs> like, them. Because you love your kid, right? And like, we, would we ask that question if our kid was suddenly really into making pottery? Would we be like, well, why should I show that I like their pottery? Right? Or like, would we ask that question if our kid suddenly wanted to start playing soccer? You know, like I have students in, in my middle school who like who play super competitive sports and I know nothing about them. Right. But I still know how to 
ask questions, Mm -hmm. you know, like what position do you play? How often do you like, what team are you on? How long have you been there? You know, how was your match this weekend? Those are all questions that are going to show that I care, even though I know nothing about the specifics, right? Like if if a student of mine plays lacrosse, they might as well be speaking a foreign language. I have no idea what they're talking about, but that doesn't mean that I can't still have an interest in what they're doing. And because, you know, that's going to increase connection. And as you brought up earlier, um, it's showing that I recognize this as valid, a valid use of their time, a valid interest, a valid hobby. And the message that sends to our kid is, oh, my adult cares about what I care about. And that makes it more likely that they will share those things with us, that they will talk to those about those things with us because they know that we see that they value it and we value what they value. Um, how to do that, I mean, I would say it can be as simple as, as kind of asking those open-ended questions that you might ask of any hobby that you don't entirely understand. Uh, and I would say that just as we would not badger our, co- our kid with questions when they are in the middle of soccer practice or when they are in the middle of piano practice, if you do this in the middle of playing Minecraft, you're probably going to get like a bomb, you know, <laughs> or, or a, you know, um, because they're kind of in it. Right. But after the fact, over dinner, in the car, you know, walking to school, like, hey, what's something that you did in the game that was really interesting today? Or, um, you know, how did your campaign go today? Uh, how did, what's something you did that was new today? Or what's something you're looking forward to doing something in Minecraft today? Or what are you working on? Um, even just big questions like that um, can give you some insight into what they're doing. And then I think many parents are like, but I don't know what it means. You know, right? right. <laughs> they're going to say something and I'm not going to know what it means. And it's like, okay, well then ask. You're like, if a kid tells me, I, I can't even make up that I know a lacrosse position because I don't. So if a kid tells me like, oh, I play such and such position and I have no idea what it is, I might say, oh, what do you do? Like, I don't know anything about that. What do you do in that position? Uh, because again, that shows that I care, shows that I want to know more. And some kids are not going to respond well to that. Some kids might just be like, "Ugh, you know, you're just, I don't want to talk about it. And that's fine. But at least putting it out there that, you know, we want to know more. And I think that that doesn't, I think that can do a lot. And um, even as simple as just observing what your kid is doing when they play, if they're playing in sort of a communal family space or just occupying in the same room with them. You know, you're sitting on the couch reading a book while they play and you're just glancing up or maybe just kind of watching, not commentating, not asking questions, but just kind of noticing. Because I think you like you brought up with the creative play that they might do after playing Minecraft. We can just kind of watch and observe the same way we might observe when they're playing in the backyard, just to kind of see what they're doing. Do I have to learn how to play Minecraft? (laughs) You do not. Okay. You do not. (laughs) For some parents, like if it's something that you have any interest in, you know, you could say, hey, can I play with you with you sometime? Or, hey, can we find a game we can play together? Awesome. Go for it. But in the same way that I don't have to play lacrosse to show an interest in it, I don't have to play Minecraft right. to, show, to show that I, I validate my child's interest in it. Yeah, you know, the few times that my husband and I have played Mario Kart with them, they love it so much. So I know, like, just... Just put in like, it's just like going out and jumping on the trampoline with them. Like just put in like 15 minutes here and there. 
Yes. And I would say, I think a lot of adults and especially like a lot of kids do tend to play these bigger titles that are harder for us to connect with, but the world of video games is not what it was 40 years ago or even 10 years ago. Um, there's a whole wide world of indie games of very like chilled on competitive games that have some really interesting, um, things to show you and I think even finding like one thing that might interest you as a parent that you just play independently of your child uh because you have your own interest in it yeah and can be really interesting and probably really change how you view them I'm inspired to try it I was really into Mario when I was a kid I mean I loved it yeah I mean it's still fun right yeah it's only gotten better right and then and then we somehow think that we have to grow up and stop playing it but right it can be nice, just like jumping on the trampoline. It can be nice to connect with that inner kid sometimes. And that's just another way of doing it. Totally. Well, I think that you should be on stages all over the country and world oh. because you <laughs> just speak so well on this. And I am so thankful that you spent this time with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm sad for you that like COVID stopped the speaking. Like you were just, you were getting going. And, you know, I kind of feel, feel you a little bit because... I had started doing quite a few events where I would moderate panels and things like oh, that, sure. big events, and and you start getting on a roll and you're really enjoying it, and then it gets you know pulled I from know. you. But it'll yeah, start I again. Did it, it'll start again. I did it for about four years um, before COVID, and it was just you know it was like I had my little places that I went, and it was good, and you know it'll come back. Fingers crossed. So we'll do it again. I bet you'll <laughs> end up doing a TED talk on it. <laughs> well. That'd be cool. I don't know. I feel like TED Talks have become like a, I don't know, how they jumped the shark. I feel like everyone has done that. Uh, yeah. But yeah. hey, if they're still cool, I'm happy to do it. I mean, I think they're still cool, but I totally hear you. I yeah. totally hear what you're saying. Because they have like the TEDx talks and like. A, right, right, know, right. Yeah. Everybody could do a TED Talk now, right? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I do think that there's, there's still something special about it, but. I totally hear you. Okay. Um, What is something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Oh, I would have had an answer to this like a couple weeks ago and then I did it. So no. What did you do? (laughs) Oh, so I live in Colorado. And so one thing I'd never done, um, I'm really into hiking and I've gotten really into like summit hiking, high elevation hiking, but I had never climbed a 14er. A 14er is a mountain above 14,000 feet for those who don't know. Um, And so I I did that like two weeks ago. So that was definitely a, a thing that I really wanted to do. Um, I've not, I still not done like multiple peaks in a day. That would be a cool thing to do. Multiple peaks in a day. I was like, cause that's like something I could actually manage. I think. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. So cool. Um, and I'm sure so beautiful where you live. Oh yeah. We are so, so lucky. And the last 18 plus months, I have never felt so lucky to live where I live since COVID. Like, Oh my gosh, that we can be out of the house, that our weather is nice enough to be out of the house, that we have such amazing access to the outdoors. We are so lucky. Don't I don't know how people, <laughs> yeah, for real. I don't know how people in other parts of the of the country have, have done it because the only reason I've survived mentally is like outdoor access. Yeah, we just moved to North Carolina, but we spent 
most of the pandemic in Indiana, which, you know, for the most part was fine, but there were days and weeks where it'd be like nine, 10 degrees out. And I'd be like, we're, we're just going outside because we have to be outside. We would just Mm -hmm. bundle up and just the whole process of getting four kids bundled up. Oh my God. That took 45 minutes. Yeah. But (laughs) you know what? Like it was always worth it because your day is always better when you get outside. Oh yeah. But maybe better in Boulder. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't live in, I live near Boulder, but yes, yes. And the, yeah, we don't have humidity. Yeah. So like it, it can be nine degrees and we can live out yeah. there. <laughs> we can survive. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's the best, most recent book you've read? So best. Um, I I am super into nonfiction. I like only, I only read nonfiction pretty much. And I finally... I've listened to books pretty often. I finally listened to um, The Big Short, which was a movie Uh about the financial crisis. Um, And it was very interesting and enraging and interesting. And then, um, oh, shoot, Billion Dollar Loser was about uh, the WeWork WeWork implosion uh, of Adam, Adam Newman. I'm really into any books kind of about like people kind of like, like kind of like scammers and con artists uh-huh. that are like getting in, getting their comeuppance for some reason. Really into that. So Bad Blood was about Elizabeth Holmes. Also really good. We read that recently. And oh, one of my faves that people should listen to, but it will make you very upset <laughs> in our in our current era is um, Get Well Soon, which is about uh, plagues and pandemics throughout history and the people who really like helped throughout different pa- plagues and pandemics. And the author is hysterical. Okay. So really recommend that one but it will make you'll you'll kind of like yearn for plagues of the past (laughs) with where we are right now sure um do you have a kids book you recommend i uh, so on my instagram page i have a i think one of the highlights that people have liked a lot that is not gaming related is a highlight i have about gender um, because I have a highlight that has a lot of kids books around like identity, you know, and talking about identity, introducing concepts around identity. So um, I think my favorite book for kids around that is called What Are Your Words? Okay. Which is a way of talking about identity and the concept of pronouns without it being like a, what is a pronoun? You know, really informational. It's just very lovely and follows a a character as they are kind of trying out words and talking about themselves. And I love that it talks about other words that describe people. So like, oh, this is my uncle and their words are they and them. And also like artist gardener Mm. you know it's like a really great book about identity and at the end it asks kids to give their own words which i really love my favorite book about kids like for parents is probably how to talk so little kids will listen which is by faber and king i think and wow that book is so great i people tend to think that like positive or conscious parenting is some sort of like new millennial fad but it i it is not you know it, it goes back at least like 30 years and so this book is older but is so much in the same echelon as as what is really commonly talked about in in social media right now and i have so many tricks from that book that i use on adults (laughs) and kids of all ages my students my child adults so how to talk to little kids will listen that book is great okay those are great suggestions. Your books, the kids' books, I love it. And just so everybody listening knows, 
Um, your Instagram is ash.brandon. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Ash.brandon. I have a website, which is ashbrandon.com. It's a little more like education-y technical stuff. I've done like the talks that I have done are there. Um, lesson plan ideas are there. Uh, there's a blog post on there about like good first games for kids. Okay. Um, so you can check that out as well. Yeah. You know, and I know that you're an educator and, you know, a big part of your life is, is bringing, you know, making the classroom feel like a game. So we could mm-hmm. have gone so many directions with this conversation. Like this could have been three hours long. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, I so appreciate you going into the specifics, you know, that we went into, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much to this. Okay. Do you have a trip that you've been on with your family or that you would recommend? With kids? Yeah. With kids. A 14er. <laughs> <laughs> when I summited my last 14er, these people brought their six-month-old for their six-month birthday oh, photo. Oh, my gosh. Which I actually was like, I don't know if that's a good idea because a baby can't tell you if it has altitude sickness. Right. But, <laughs> but, hey, you know, that's their choice. But it was surprising. Um, We have not done a lot of travel with our child because of pandemic right. era. Um, And if they're five... You were kind of like just starting to get to the age where it's easier. I know. We took we took like two years off of travel because once they're mobile, but not young enough to just sit still on a plane and watch a tablet. Uh Uh-huh. And that that's like the worst, right? Oh, (laughs) 18 months on an airplane. There's nothing worse than that. No. So like we didn't travel at all between nine months and almost three. And then right after three was when pandemic happened for us. So you know, we um, we are going to do a trip soon to we have a great wolf lodge near us, which Fun. is like a big like water park hotel has mini golf. You know, we are going to do that in a few weeks. And I think my kid is just going to lose their mind. <laughs> I think they're going to be so excited. And then um, my spouse and I have spent several summers living in Japan pre child. Oh, cool. And um, we have wanted to do that. With our child again, we were going to do it last summer. Obviously, that didn't happen. So we have fingers crossed and maybe this will be the summer where that happens. Very cool. Yeah. And I just like to highlight, let's not underestimate like how fun going to somewhere like Great Wolf Lodge can be. Oh, like, I'm I'm like high, pumped. Yeah. Like I think people <laughs> think they have to come up with these like big extravagant things. And it's like, no, like that's amazing. No. No, the only other trip that we've really done recently that my kid adored was that we live, we have hot springs in Colorado and there's one that's like basically a huge swimming pool called Glenwood Springs. And it's like three hours away. We did that. My, and my kid could not have been happier. That's like really I, lovely. I, at this point, I think that would have been equal to like Disney. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and thankfully less expensive. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Great Wolf Lodge is like an hour and a half from us. Yeah. It's going to feel like probably like we're on a, we went on a plane. Yep. It's going to feel like a big, big deal. I'm putting that on my list. Okay. What's your yeah. last message to leave with the audience today? I think the biggest message would be choosing to say yes to games doesn't mean that you're committed for life. If you try it and you realize it's not for your family, you can walk that decision back. It's not doing some sort of irrevocable harm <laughs> to your child. Uh, and finding ways to allow your kids to explore these things and explore their interests is setting them up to be more likely to balance their interests in adulthood. And I think that's what we all want is that we want kids who are going to transition into adulthood as kind of fully fledged people. And I think if we can view games as a way to help facilitate that and not hinder it. 
Wow. Okay, I'm going to be begging you to come back on the show. Just so you know. Ooh, anytime. <laughs> this was so fun. Thank anytime. you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Ash, for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge. If you want to learn more about what Ash has to offer, go to ashbrandon.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-I-N. They are also on Instagram, ash.brandon over there. So much great information. I really encourage you to go check it out. Big thanks to Prevenex for supporting this episode. Go get yourself some multivitamins and get some vitamins for your kids. Go to Prevenex.com. Use the code Lindsay15 for 15% off your order. And check out the Donna Marathon weekend. I hope to meet many of you there the weekend of February 6th in Jacksonville, Florida. Florida in February. Yes, please. Go to breastcancermarathon.com. You can use the code Lindsay10 for 10% off your registration. All right, friends, you can find this podcast on Instagram. We are Why Is Everyone Yelling? You can find me personally on Instagram. I am Lindsay Hines 626 over there. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network. You can find Sandy Boy Productions on Instagram as well and learn more about our other shows. And our website is sandyboyproductions.com. Thanks for being here. And thank you, Emma Benner, for editing this podcast. You all have a great rest of your day. And we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling? 